Otherwise with Nancy Richards. Thanks very much, Asanda. Otherwise, cheers with me, Nancy Richards, talking women as we do each and every weekday here on SAFM. And if you'd like to join us, don't forget to welcome on 0892102010. Or if you want to send us a story that's been on your mind, it's otherwise at safm.co.za. Or find us on Facebook, it's otherwise on SAFM. Well, the team today, we've got Keith John, we've got Hazel Mikrozini, and we've got you listening. And as you might know, it's also the day of the African child today. So it seemed kind of appropriate to support the work that's being done at Crodicio Hospital's neonatal unit, where each and every year they save the lives and care for thousands of premature babies. We'll be getting the details from Julie Gibson. She's a a head practitioner at the Newborn Trust uh, unit there. After that, someone else who's no stranger to medicine. She's a UCT medical school graduate. She's Sibongile Mklongo, a.k.a. Luanga Choba. And she's releasing her debut album tonight. We're going to be finding out her story of how she is using medicine and singing at the same time and how it all came together. Then after the news headlines, the issue of whether a first wife in a customary marriage gets to have a say over whether her husband gets to take another wife. As you probably remember, there was a test case on that uh, constitutional court ruled in the women's favour. But we'll be getting what the uh, implications are and all the details from the Women's Legal Centre. We'll be talking to Jennifer Williams and also from Professor Chuma Himonga. She teaches African customary law, so it should be interesting. Do stay with us for all of that. Well, stay with us anyway. Hope you enjoy what you hear. What's news? Always lots of news. Well, the theme for talking of the uh, UN Day of the African Child, the theme this year is eliminating harmful social and cultural practices affecting children or collective responsibility. And I think the day is also designed to encourage children themselves to get involved in issues that concern them, which is a little bit more difficult. I guess we all need to teach them the skills to do that. And making news in August last year, what you might remember was Tina Mbili, and her boyfriend, Michael Padiacci, beat her so badly her face was almost unrecognisable. It was a horrendous picture on the, on the newspapers that shocked everybody. It happened in August, which, as you know, is Women's Month, so it was even, even worse if such a thing can be worse at any particular time. Well, she came face to face with him in court yesterday, and she said, there, My facial injuries may appear to have healed, but one side of my face is almost frozen. My vision is blurred. I've lost some mobility in my arm, and I experience pain. And uh, Tina also lost her job, and she describes herself as dead inside. Well, don't forget, if you're in an abusive relationship, do do something about it. Don't wait until the fist starts to fly. Get some help as soon as you possibly can. In Johannesburg, 10 people arrested for allegedly kidnapping a woman and her 16-month-old baby. And it seems that she was one of many, mostly uh, from Mozambique and Zimbabwe, all being held against their will at a house in Orange Farm. So once again, if you, uh, if you spot that there would be something going on in a house near you, maybe just uh, do something about it. Speak out, I think that's the message, especially if you're a woman. And lastly, on the sports front, interesting to see that the Vasco da Gama boys under-15 soccer team flies off to Brazil to take part in a tournament there with a 14-year-old girl amongst them. She's multi-talented Icelandic-born Amelia Einastotir. I'm not sure how you pronounce that, but she says modestly that coach Joe Cabal chose me to go, so he must have seen something good. Isn't that nice? It's otherwise you're listening to. Stay tuned. Today's JSE report is brought to you by Telcom Business. Convergence. One solution, one service provider. Telcom Business. Marilyn, please can you order me a midday blood sugar levelling gastronomic experience? Lunch, sir. 
Yes, that's the word I was looking for. Using several words when one will get the job done doesn't make sense. Neither does using several providers when you can get voice, mobile, fixed, data, cloud and IT from one service provider. Call 10217, click telcom.co.za forward slash business or visit a Telcom Direct store and get a tailor-made solution. Convergence, one solution, one service provider. Telcom Business. This feature was brought to you by Telcom Business. Talk to Telcom Business about getting you on the journey to convergence with a tailor-made solution. Telcom Business. Otherwise, with Nancy Richards. Otherwise, it is talking women, talking women and babies right now because... On June the 15th, Frutiscale Hospital here in Cape Town is going to be hosting a fundraising dinner for its neonatal unit. Well, it's a unit that it seems to be incredibly busy. They care for and save the lives of around 2,400 premature babies each and every year. Really good work there. But the unit is apparently over 40 years old, so it seems that it's more than uh, time for an upgrade so that they can carry on the work that they do. Would you tell us a little bit more about it? Uh, we've got on the line a head practitioner at Kyrgyzkia. She's also a newborn trust manager. She's Julie Gibson. Hi, Julie. Hi, is that Nancy? It is indeed. Hi, Nancy. How are you? Excellent. Thanks very much. 2,400 premature babies each and every year. Those are just the ones that make it to your neonatal unit. That's right. Is prematurity something that is growing as an incidence in newborns? Um, I think um, with prematurity, um, uh, because of the highly specialised care that babies receive and uh, the developments in care that babies um, of of this age um, receive, uh, there there are more babies that come to us um, uh, to be looked after. So so in terms of of incidence, I think it is growing because more babies are actually being sent to us to be cared for in our unit. Mm, well, that's good that it's being recognised, and I'm just thinking that you are working hard for the Millennium Development Goal number four, which is to reduce child mortality. That's right. What's the likelihood of, a, I mean, how premature is premature, and at what point in a premature baby's lives are you still able to help them? Um, Nancy, I think that's something that the um, clinicians in the unit are probably in a better position to to discuss with you. Um, they they regard prematurity or newborns as, um, I guess, babies that are anything from 28 weeks um, of age. Yeah. But in terms of the viability, I think that's something that, that the clinicians are in a best position to discuss. Yeah, with you. yeah. Well, that gives us certainly an idea of what can happen. So, the unit is over 40 years old, and, and medical medical methods have changed fairly drastically in the last 40 years, I would imagine. What is the situation with the neonatal unit, and what what do you need? Um, the, the, our primary concern at the moment is the lack of space for our babies. Um, there are certain standards that um, need to be adhered to in terms of how much space each baby is given. And um, we are uh, usually running at a, an overcapacity of about 150% where we should be running at 80%. So we try and squeeze in as many babies as we can. You can't turn away a, a vulnerable and sick baby, but um, and our staff do the best that they can. But, but because of... Um, um, a lack of space, and um, we, we do run into problems with infection being transferred, mm-hmm. um, which is a big problem. And also, um, it doesn't allow for for um, medical equipment to be moved in and out of the unit very easily when that's needed for life-saving procedures, or for mothers to take care of their babies um, you know, when they are in the unit. So, so the shortage of space um, does give rise yeah. to other problems, and and we could reduce. 
many of those through through having more space. Yes, 150 percent. Sure, that is that is quite a lot extra, isn't it? And I'm thinking those babies are so very small, but nonetheless they do need uh, equipment and, and you know just space in which to be. Do you, any idea how many you can uh, you can house at any one time? I mean, how many you should be able to house and how many are actually being looked um, after? Well, we we should be we have got 70 space for 75 babies. Okay. Um, yes, and it's and it's often uh, more than double. <laughs> yeah. What do you, what happens to them if you simply cannot look after them? Um, we do manage. We do make a plan. Somehow mm. they manage to make a plan, and um, there are other units that we are able to move babies to and from. Or if babies are at a certain level in um, the care cycle, they can be moved out um, into other areas. But um, yeah, our staff do an amazing job. They actually. Um, make miracles happen here. I must be quite yes, honest. Yeah, I'm sure. Where is the neonatal unit? Um, the neonatal unit is in the old main building at Hurskia Hospital okay. in the maternity wing. The old main building, which is pretty chock-a-block anyway, isn't it? Um, it is. It is quite full, yes. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, we we have got space that um, has been allocated us for us to move into to expand our unit. So. Now the biggest challenge is the fundraising, which um, we're hoping to do a lot of in the coming months and years. Yes, and not least on the 15th of June when you're having a fundraising dinner. Exactly. This is the, the first um, uh, fundraising dinner for our refurbishment program, um, and it's been spearheaded completely by a wonderful woman here who has gone over and above the call of duty to um, make this happen, uh, Mrs. Amina Otto. Um, and... If you'd like, I can put her on and she can tell you more about the, the event. Oh, absolutely. Um, she, is she, she right there? working night and day, hmm. Nancy, and deserves all the credit for this event. So um, has got the rest of the Cape Town community enthused and involved. And, um, oh, lovely. Well, we'd be very proud to speak to her. So let, pass her over. Well, lovely. Thanks. thanks very much. Talking there to uh, Julie Gibson, we're talking about the... Hi, Nancy. Hi there. Well, congratulations, Amina. I believe you've been working like a Trojan. <laughs> it's only a pleasure for me to do this, Nancy. Why? Yes. Have, you, have you ever um, had a premature baby? Thanks very close to my heart. Yeah. My daughter was born, uh, she's 28 years old. She yeah. was premature. Um, she weighed 500 grams, so I know what these mothers are going through. And um, for me to see the little ones and um, in cramped up spaces or not having um, the the incubators that they really need, um, yeah. I, I think I just feel the need to do this for them. 500 grams. Do you tell her that each and every time she I has do. a birthday? I when do. I remind her all the time. <laughs> I do. And if I do things like this, I tell her. Yeah. It's all because of her. Yeah. Did, just, just very briefly, tell us, you know, 500 grams is very, very tiny. There's all sorts of complications and issues with premature babies that I'm sure at the neonatal unit they know only too well. Yes, it is. What was the biggest challenge for you? Um, for me, having to, to leave her there after I've been discharged from hospital and having to go home and, and come in every day to come and feed her. And at night when, when you sleep and the phone rings, you, you just say, God, let's hope it's not yeah. bad news. So, um, yeah, it's just going there every day, seeing her picking up, even if it's just a half a kilo, um, to reach the goal way to, to go home. Yeah. And I'm sure that is what the other mothers also feel like. Coming there every day, some of them doesn't have the money to travel in and out to hospital. Um, yeah, and, 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 and I'm sure that is what they feel. Yes, it sounds like a place of 
of great hope. I'm, that's I'm that's sure there's right. sort of collective hope. Please, God, look after my baby. That's right. Um, so you've gone into this big time from what Julie says. What is ha- Tell us about the, about the fundraising dinner. What's all happening? Um, we are having some um, artists that are very, very nice, um, good up-and-coming artists that have offered their service. Um, and we are mainly we're using um, the youth. We've included some young musicians and entertainers on our list of performers because um, as Youth Day is coming up um, the following day, um, we were taught that that would be a nice way to celebrate yeah. with the youth. Um, and it's, it's their way of giving back to the community. And we've just had wonderful support um, from um, um, artists as well as um, people out there, family, friends, everybody that um, uh, pitched in to make this um, a huge success. So, so there's going to be lots of music. Where is it happening and how much does it cost to get a um, ticket? It's in, it's in the Nicomelan Hall. It's in Anzio Road in Observatory. It's right next to the hospital. The tickets are 150 rand. If you're a couple, you pay 300 rand. If you're a single person, it's 180 rand. And the desk code is black and white. And we, 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 we're making it a, a mass evening. So it, it's going to be, um, we're calling it the black and white dinner with the stars. Okay. So the little babies is our stars. Yeah. Oh. Well, well done. I mean, and I hope that. How, what's capacity? How many tickets have you sold so far? Um, so far, we we sold 260 tickets, and we're still looking to sell about 30 tickets if we can. So we're just appealing to anyone that would like to come and support us. Um, yeah, so yeah. Feel I, free to contact me on um, 076 yeah. 291-5225 or email me on um, amina dot auto at uct.ac.za or if they can go onto um, the newborns website and if they would like to make a donation if they can't make it on the evening but um, a donation would also be good okay well I'm going to give out your email address once again Amina if anybody would like to sort of pop through an email and say what do I do Um, because my maths is not good enough to do this quickly but (laughs) 260 um, you know times 180 rand or whatever it's yeah. not gonna. It's not gonna it's get not you a whole lot of money, yes. is it? Yes, but I think our aim on the evening is just just to to um, to uh, raise an awareness of yeah. of the newborns and to show the people that the plight that we are in and wanting to help these little ones to achieve. Yeah, well, yeah. I'm sure anybody who's had a premature baby will be only too sympathetic to the cause. That's Blessings, right. Amina. I hope you have a wonderful black and white dinner. Thank with your, you so much. In honor of your Thank you so soul. much. Thanks a lot. Take You're care. Welcome. Cheers. Bye. Bye. It's really good to hear people doing really good stuff, and there are lots and lots of very premature babies that need all the help they can get by this time. So I'm thinking about all those women who are maybe not able to get there to see their new babies each and every day, their up-and-coming new babies. If you'd like to help out there, um, amina.otto at uct.ac.za is Amina's uh, email address. Otherwise, the number is 076 291 We'll try and get the details of the uh, website she was talking about there and put it up on our uh, Facebook page. You're listening to Otherwise. Stay with us. The National Arts Festival in Grahamstown runs from the 27th of June to the 7th of July. The biggest festival on the continent has 3,000 performances, including the best theatre, hottest jazz, awesome dance, great music, lectures, comedy, film, performance art, exhibitions, and much more. It's the place to be this winter. Book now at CompuTicket. Visit us online at www.nationalartsfestival.co.za. The National Arts Festival, 11 days of amazing, in partnership with SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. 
Introducing more savings from Specsavers. Now you can get between 250 and 1,000 Rand off the normal industry price for your prescription lenses. That's right, up to 1,000 Rand off your prescription lenses. Another reason why we are South Africa's leading eye care group. Change to Specsavers for affordable eye care and a whole lot more. T's and C's apply. Remember to catch SABC 2's daytime primetime shows this afternoon. We start the day with Relate at 12pm, where we find ways of mending broken bonds. Next is Days of Our Lives at 1pm. The Forrester family rules from their stylish mansion in Beverly Hills on the Bold and the Beautiful at 2pm. Catch the community of Hillside on the repeat of Siemendelan at 2.30pm. Lies That Bind brings along the drama and intrigue of a Kenyan family at 3pm. In the repeat of Mubangu, enjoy the cultural conflicts that take place at 3.30 p.m. Only on SABC2. Otherwise, on SAFM. The Liberty Group of Companies wishes to advise all Capital Alliance, Liberty Growth and Liberty Active customers that your policies will be transferred to Liberty. Capital Alliance, Liberty Growth, Liberty Active and Liberty all form part of the Liberty Group of Companies. And this is simply an internal restructuring to ensure better efficiencies. There's no change or impact to your policy in any way. Your benefits, premiums and policy terms remain unchanged. If you need more information, please contact 0860-456-789 or contact your Liberty Financial Advisor. Otherwise, with Nancy Richards. Otherwise, it is Talking Women here on SFM while having touched in on Kuriskia Hospital's neonatal unit, staying in the medical world, talking to Sibongile Mflongo, who's also in the medical world having graduated from med school at UCT, but for tonight I, I feel quite sure that she won't be wearing a white coat. Because she's going to be launching her brand new CD as Luanga Choba, and we got her on the line. Hi, Luanga. Hi. Lovely to have hi, you with hi, us. Hi, hi, yes. oh. it's, it's Nancy, but hi. Sorry, I'm, I'm meant, I'm, yeah, it's nerves, that's all. <laughs> listen, don't I, I, be I nervous. I'm here, I'm talking to you because I, I listen to you daily. I'm oh, lovely, I do, lovely. So it's just a bit strange. Oh, well, welcome to the show. Nice to have Thank you with you. us. Um, so, Luanga, as I say, don't be nervous. You must keep all your nerves for tonight or get rid of your nerves because Indeed. you need to be doing your thing tonight. How did you get to be singing? And, and from what I read, it seems like what you really wanted to do was sing, but, you know, hey, a girl's got to make a living, so you went to study medicine. Is that what happened? Um, I think it's probably a lot more complex than that. Uh, maybe a bit of obligation. You know our history. You felt uh, you, you're doing well at school. You're probably expected to do one of those things, you know, be a doctor or lawyer or something like that. And, and the country needs such people. And sometimes you, you have this perception that maybe medicine will be frowned upon. You're also aware that maybe income and security isn't, you know, as good as, as it would be in a, a formal degree like medicine. Mm. So I think it was, it, it's complicated, I think, Nancy. Um, and that, that's one of the reasons. But, you know, things have ended where they, where they have today. So. <laughs> well, complicated it may be, but for sure we do need as many doctors as we can get. Um, yeah. So no bad thing to have studied that. Now Not at all. You've graduated. Are you ready to put on the coat and the stethoscope and off you go? Um, I, I think I've, I've, I've let it go. I mean, uh, music is, is what I am mm. a lot more naturally. Music is, music is something that nobody ever had to teach me. Music is, is part of my, my DNA, you know, so yeah. to speak. 
Um, and I think that it, it's important uh, to, to honor what you actually are, what you have been designed to become. And, and for me, uh, in, my, in my imprint, uh, music is, exists, you know. Mm-hmm. So I'm just being myself. Lovely. Yes. But does this mean that you're lost to the healing profession forever? Uh, no, it depends, Nancy. Um, you see, it is not only the body that needs healing. Mm-hmm. Uh, souls need healing. And in and, and, and my view, uh, a, a, a happy, healthy, healed soul will produce a, a, a happy, healthy, healed body. So, um, uh, um, you know, if somebody suggested, somebody close to me suggested, I have not stopped being a healer. You know, uh, it's just that I, I am uh, now dealing with a different aspect of who we, who we are. And, and for me, that's probably the most important part because if it wasn't, I wouldn't have, have done, taken the decision that I have, mm-hmm. dumping medicine for this. It tells you just how important it is to honor our souls, to honor ourselves. That's probably more important than anything else. Yes. I, yes. I mean, you know, a, a medical background is never going to do any harm. I mean, you know, each and every day there's ways in which one can help. But tell us a little bit about your music then. You say, you know, bodies, oh, souls as well as bodies need healing. What sort of music do you play? Is it something that we can put into a, can we pigeonhole it? You know, I, I think it's difficult. I, I think it's difficult. I, I, I know that it's a common answer among um, uh, artists and composers to say that they don't want to be boxed. Mm. But I really, really, I, I tried uh, to box myself, but I couldn't. And, and people who are musically trained, because I'm not, tried to do that. And even they weren't convincing. You know, they didn't convince me. They didn't sound convinced themselves. So I just decided to, to coin my own, you know, my own genre. If anybody there um, sort of in, insists on a genre, then, then I, I called it Gonzo Soul. It is very soulful music. It does speak to the soul, both um, in, 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 in terms of its melodies and, and, and its words as well, you know. Um, um, so uh, it is Gonzo Soul because it, it's difficult to put in a box, and it is soulful. As well. What does gonzo mean? Gonzo is, is a term that, uh, well, because I couldn't answer the question uh, what genre my music is, I went on, went, on, went on a little bit of research, and gonzo is a word that was first used around 1970 by a, um, a, a journalist called uh, somebody Cardoso, I think his name was, um, of the Golden Globe, to describe Hunter S. Thompson's type of journalism, which is sort of subjective, he used his emotion and experience rather than the sort of formal type of, of, of journalism. And, and he uh, could also use that, that term gonzo journalism to describe um, uh, Hans S. Thompson's uh, type of journalism. Uh, but since then, it has been used to describe sort of non-conforming, non-conventional sort of off-edge type of art as well. And for me, it just when I came across that word, it just sounded perfect for uh, how, I'm, how I'm trying to express myself musically. Yeah, mm-hmm. it sounds like you've certainly done your homework on it. And if it, as you say, if it speaks to you, that's what it's all about. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing about your music is that much of it is written, in, and do you write the music and the lyrics yourself? Because much of it is written in, in Setswana. Yes, yeah, I, I write the, the lyrics myself, um, every bit of, of my music. So, it, you know, what, what I feel about music is that it it comes through me. I don't... Every time I call myself a songwriter, it feels like I'm fibbing, you know. I, um, songs come through me, and all I do is, is be a conduit, allow them to, to become, you know, nurture them to become what they want to be. And um, uh, Sitwana, for instance, I've, I've, I've had to build my own Sitwana. It, even though it's my mother tongue, you know, you, the, 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 the issue of vernacular at the moment is quite topical in the country, in fact. 
um, I've had to go back and learn. I listen to Sitona radio stations. I take notes. I started reading Sitona books again, you know, um, and, and, and I do, I do, I do a bit of research with some songs, especially with regards to, uh, um, uh, Sitona vocabulary. Um, but, uh, you know, there's, there's a song called the Khafela, which is a, a Sitona word for the Kwanzaa. I'm not sure whether you're familiar with the, the, the Kwanzaa festival. There's a sort of traditional uh, Kwanzaa festival of, of Thanksgiving. I didn't know about it at all until December last year, on the 26th to be exact. And um, it, it interested me, and I went and looked it up. I, I, um, so I learned a lot about the subject itself and also the words and, 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 and the Setuana traditions. It was just a hell of a beautiful ex- experience. You know. Yeah, gosh, mm. I, I certainly hadn't heard of the Kwanzaa Festival. I'm, I'm only here to be educated, so I mean, I get to learn all sorts of things. Oh yeah, I, I learn all the time, <laughs> never stop. Indeed, and it, you know, Longa, I know that you're launching tonight. I know that you're not going to be nervous. Tell us where it's happening. Uh, it's happening at uh, the House of Baobab, a beautiful um, Afri- Af- uh, West African cuisine restaurant oh. uh, at the Maboneng Precinct uh, from about uh, 6 p.m. Okay, and can anybody just turn up? Uh, I'm afraid on this occasion we 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 have a, a small group. Uh, it's a very very tiny venue, um, and then uh, in the future, as if possible, we'll, we'll be we'll be uh, um, staging bigger events. But okay. On this occasion, it's a, it's a small private launch. Okay, but if they want to get to hear, everybody wants to get to hear your music, your email, your website. Yes, I, I'm on I'm on Facebook. Um, obviously, facebook.com forward slash Luanga Choba. I'm also on, on Twitter, even though I'm not, I'm not as active as I should be, but I'm at, um, my handle is uh, at Luanga C. Okay. And then um, my website is under construction, but it should be up and running within about a week or so. And it, it, it's going to be uh, Luanga Choba dot uh, co dot zere. Cool. Mm. Fabulous. Excellent. Nancy, it's been lovely to talk to you. Well, it was. I'm, I'm a big listener. Good. Well, it's high time you. you were on the show. Lovely. Okay. Very best of luck Bye. tonight. Don't be nervous. Lovely. Luanga Choba. Well, if you would like to get hold of her, you can send her a tweet at, Lu- at Luanga C, L U A N G A C, at Luanga C. Otherwise, find her on Facebook and it's Luanga Choba. And uh, if you missed it, let us know. Otherwise, at safm.co.za. Coming up in the other half, or what, uh, what is we have after the news headlines, we'll be hearing about the Constitutional Court's ruling in favour of a first wife uh, having a say in whether or not her husband takes a second one. It's way after 1.30. It's time, nonetheless, for the news headlines with Asanda Fort. They've played in over 5,000 concerts, sold over 10 million records, and now they are in South Africa for two nights only. Massive Events Live, Carnival City, Grand Western Association with SAFM, presents A Night with Spyrodora. Friday the 14th of June at the Grand Arena, Grand West Casino, Cape Town, and Saturday, Carnival City, Big Top Arena, Johannesburg. Book at CompuTicket and uh, ShopRite Checkers outlets today. Massive Events Live, see it, feel it, and experience. SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Otherwise, with Nancy Richards. Tears indeed, otherwise, talking women, and uh, if you'd like to join us on this one, you are most welcome. The number is 0892102010, if you'd like to join us. Um, so, the Constitutional Court recently ruled in favour of women when they gave a first wife in a customary marriage legal power to refuse permission for her husband to take a second wife. It's kind of a groundbreaking case, and Mojaji Mayalani of Limpopo 
Her husband of 18 years married another woman just months before he died. Mayalani argued that the second marriage was not valid because she, she herself had not given consent. The Supreme Court judged both marriages to be legal, but the Constitutional Court agreed with Mayalani, saying allowing her husband to marry again without her consent would be undermining her equality with her husband. A lot of issues here, but I think, first of all, we need to try and understand what it's all about. And we have on the line, we have Jennifer Williams, who is from the Women's Legal Centre. We also have Professor Chuma Himonga, who teaches Law of Persons and Marriage and African Customary Law. And her research interests are women in law, so I imagine, and South African family law, so she's uh, fully equipped. Got them both on the line. Hi, Jennifer. Hi, Nancy, and good afternoon to your listeners. Thank you very and to much. Professor Humonga. Yes, lovely. Thank you. Hi, Professor Humonga. 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 Hi, Nancy. Yes, thank you very much for joining us. Maybe, I, I mean, I've given a very brief outline of the, this particular case there, but, but can you perhaps sort of expand on it so we know what we're looking at? Because it seems to have been quite groundbreaking. Right, Nancy, the issue that the High Court and the Supreme Court of Appeal considered was slightly different to that which the Constitutional Court considered. And I think that we should just make the distinction between the two. The first issue and the easier one to resolve was the question of when a husband takes a second or subsequent wife, he's required by law to register a contract saying what the propriety consequences of a marriage will be. Now, before the High Court and the Supreme Court of Appeal, the question was whether if you don't register that contract, it would render the marriage invalid. And the Constitutional Court dealt with that quite um, briefly by saying that they agree with the Supreme Court of Appeal. The failure to register that contract does not invalidate the marriage. The Constitutional Court then considered whether or not the issue of the first wife's consent was one that had been properly considered in the courts below, and they found that it wasn't, and they then took it upon themselves as a court to, in fact, consider that very issue as to whether or not the first wife um, should have given her consent. Because in her papers and then before the Constitutional Court, she raised the fact that she had never actually, in fact, given her consent. Okay, so um, just going back to Jennifer, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, just going back on what you were saying, when a when a husband takes a second wife, he has to have a registered contract. Failure to do that in this case, however, did not invalidate the marriage. So I, I don't understand. I mean, you either do or you don't need to register the contract. Well, there are two ways of approaching it, and what the law originally did was they didn't make consent a requirement expressly. They just required the husband to register a contract, which is a different thing to getting the consent of the first wife. And what the court has done is, is to actually boldly head on, look at the issue of consent and say that it is a requirement and that um, you have to have the first wife's consent before you can actually marry a second or subsequent wife. Okay. Just um, whistling back, sort of winding back, just before, just before we do that, um, Jennifer, just let's stay with you. Customary marriage, just explain what that, you know, how that differs in any other way. Well, customary marriage is a marriage that is carried out in accordance with the customs of an indigenous group of people. And Professor Yumonga, I mean, has done research countrywide as to what the different customs are in different areas. But it's basically done according to customary law. So whatever that customary law requires would be the requirement for a valid marriage. Okay. Okay, um, Professor Himonga, let's just wind back the clock a little bit. We're talking about something that's quite traditional here. 
back in the day, you know, when this tradition, this tradition presumably has been going for some time, that a man may take a second wife, how was it dealt with in the old days, if you like? I think it's really difficult to to answer that question, partly because of uh, the issue that was recognised by the court as well. You know, the fact that it's it's difficult to know what customary law um, is, as as you see from the evidence in 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 the case itself. You know, different people gave different <laughs> understandings of yes. uh, the implications of you know the lack of consent on the validity of the subsequent marriage. So I think that different ethnic groups have different requirements as far as consent is concerned, in traditional as well. So you, you, you might have uh, groups that did not consent and others that consented. I wouldn't have a clear picture of what the position was across all the ethnic groups because all Although ethnic groups' customary laws are similar in some ways, they are also different. And if you recall, if you remember from the judgment, the court actually recognized the fact that there are nuances, you know, in this whole issue of consent. Um, in some cases, it, it's not a complete lack of consent, but how it's given. So I, I can't answer the question generally, you know, because different customary laws are provided differently on different subjects. Very difficult with things that are sort of unwritten and and sort of perhaps orally passed on, which I would imagine makes it very difficult for the Constitutional Court to make any sort of ruling on something like this, because if different ethnic groups have different laws, which one do they respect? Uh, absolutely. I think the Constitutional Court was actually alive to, the, to this fact. You know, in various places in the judgment, it expresses the, the, the position that it's looking at stronger customary law. Mm-hmm. And I think that any court looking at customary law would be, you know, uh, would, would, would do well to look at the customary law of the community that is before it. Um, the generalization would be <laughs> uh, something that would probably lead to undesirable uh, distortions of customary law that uh, we experienced during the colonial and apartheid mm-hmm. period. But yes, that's one of the difficulties that the courts have and the constitutional court expressed again that difficulty, which also arose in an earlier case in Bay against Magistrate Kailicha. In this particular case, I think the the point was that the first wife didn't know about the second wife until after her husband died. That's right. So her argument was what? Was it was it a matter of who inherited the property? I think it was. I mean, the, this whole issue wasn't actually dealt with in any of the courts. Mm. The fact that the parties came to court obviously expected something, and the issue was that of succession although it was not dealt with. And I think what the first wife was obviously, you know, getting at was to inherit the property to, to the exclusion of the subsequent uh, wife. Yeah. One of I'll the... come in Yes, yes. Oh, I mean, in our work that we do, we often find that the, the, the difficulty around the validity of marriages expresses itself in exactly this kind of dispute. 
because the marriage dissolves either by death or by divorce. Mm. And it's at those contentious times that you will have disputes around the validity of the marriage, but also because the consequences of the validity relate to property. So it's a question of whether who inherits and in what shares do you inherit. And the Constitutional Court has, in relation to um, polygynous marriages before, and even Islamic polygynous marriages, indicated that the wives would all inherit and that they would each inherit a child share. So I think the, you know, the, it was quite um, important for the court to consider the validity because they needed to, the, the practical impact for women is whether or not they'll inherit their property. And I think the concern around the judgment that we had was while we believe that consent should be a requirement, we'd actually ask them to go further and say that the second wife shouldn't be prejudiced or jeopardized by not um, by the consent not having been arrived at or given. So I think it was quite important that the court acknowledge that by saying that this doesn't apply to marriages already in existence. Okay. It only applies prospectively, in other words, to future Tsonga marriages. You talk about the practical aspect there. There's also the emotional aspect, but I'll come to that in just a minute. Jennifer, you, you made the point that it's polygynous marriage versus a polygamous marriage. Just explain the difference. Well, a polygynous marriage is where a husband can take more than one wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, polygamy is, would encompass both, where a wife can have more than one husband and where a husband can have more than one wife. Now, in South Africa, we only actually recognize polygyny, which is where a husband can have more than one wife. Okay. Uh, so yeah. can I come in yeah. on yeah. the issue of uh, the retrospectivity of, of the judgment? I think that the court really made an important ruling in, um, you know, in saying that the decision would not apply to existing marriages. But I think that it's, you know, that still doesn't go far enough uh, if one considers the amount of ignorance, uh, you know, um, around. Uh, legal issues among women, uh, and also, you know, the power relations within within uh, the families, where you know power relations are more favorable to to men. So, although uh, the judgment will not apply to uh, future, you know, um, subsequent wives mm-hmm. or women, I think that they will still be impacted negatively because they will continue to marry, you know, without the knowledge that, in fact, their marriages are, you know, are invalid. Yeah. And so, for me, that's the unfortunate, uh, you know, uh, outcome of this decision, that it takes us back to the, you know, to the high court decision, you know, where the marriage of the subsequent woman was invalidated. Ultimately. What I see is really punishing the, the wrong person. Yeah. It's, it's a very difficult situation, of course. You're punishing the wrong person because it's the husband who makes the, you know, the yeah. subsequent yeah. contracts of you know, marriage. I, I just want to come to the, just lastly, the, the point about, you know, the practical issue is whether or not the first wife inherits or doesn't inherit. The other issue, of course, is, that, is the first wife's dignity. Yes, um, so. is, it, is it not, you know, pretty important that she has some say in this? Uh, for whatever reasons may be given that the husband may want to choose another wife. Uh, is that not important, Professor Himonga? Oh, absolutely. No, it's absolutely important, and uh, one really cannot say anything against that. Um, I think the, the, the point is whether the court should not have considered. So on the issue of, 
you know, saying something, consenting to the subsequent marriage, I think that's absolutely important. I, I can't dispute that. Yeah. But my problem is really whether the court should not have considered uh, a measure that would also lend protection, you know, to the to the subsequent woman who might be placed in a very difficult situation yeah. because of her lack of consent. And if you consider, there are two issues actually. The fact that you know registration of marriages ought to guard, you know. Um, uh, this kind of lack of knowledge of yeah. the, an existing marriage, but <laughs> many marriages are still not registered. Indeed. And Professor Chumahimonga, sadly we are out of time, but thank you very much and thanks for your time. Jennifer, very briefly, uh, if a, a woman is in this position, whether she's the first, second or subsequent wife, can the Women's Legal Center help? Can they look yes. on your website? Yes. No, they can definitely. It's www.wlce.co.za. Let me repeat and that. Yeah, thank you. Jennifer Williams from the Women's Legal Center. Well, we will put that up on our Facebook page too, www.wlce.co.za. Next up here on SAFM, it's Sharp Sharp, the children's program.